This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. In 2008, a podcast was created with one goal. To bring Bat fans around the world news related to movies, comics, video games, television, merchandise, and so much more. And now, the Batman Universe Podcast has returned. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of the TV. Podcast. I'm Dustin. Joining me today is Otto and Scott from the website, and today we are taking a look at Batman Returns, the 1992 film starring Michael Keaton as Batman, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman, Danny DeVito as Penguin, and Christopher Walken as Max Shrek. And there's obviously a ton of other characters and actors that were part of the film as well, but those were kind of the main actors that were connected to the film. If you may be wondering to yourself, Batman Returns, why now? Well, some of you have probably already put it together just by seeing the cover art alone, which is Batman Returns, in some ways, is more of a holiday movie than you could say Die Hard is. I don't know a lot that a lot of people are saying that, but there is that argument that Die Hard is a Christmas movie, and that uh, I believe some Bat fans out there would say that Batman Returns is a Christmas film, too. Um, mostly because of the time it takes place in, or during this, the, the time of the year it takes place in. There's obviously references to Christmas trees and holiday ornaments and the materialism that goes into buying stuff for the holidays with Max Shrek and his entire uh, company that exists in the, the the version of this, but there's also a whole lot of snow. So we we were trying to find something to put together for the holiday season, and this just seemed to be the, the best option at the immediate point. There's obviously other things, and in the future we will talk about some of those, uh, specifically some of the animated series have had episodes that are holiday-themed, and there's a lot of other things, but this was the thing that immediately popped out at a bunch of us, so that is what we are going to talk about. So, if you are listening to this podcast, chances are you've seen this film. Um, if you haven't, I strongly suggest that you go check it out. Um, it is unique in its own way. Um, I think some people, I think a lot of people enjoy certain aspects of it, and I think there are some people who have certain aspects that they have an issue with. Um, at the time when the film came out, it received pretty good critical uh, praise, and it did fairly well at the box office as well. Not as good as Batman 1989, but it did do very well for the time period. It had about an $80 million budget. It made uh, well over $200 million worldwide, so it did well, and at the time, that was good numbers for a, a film. 
not something you could say did well right now, considering we just saw Spider-Man releasing, and Spider-Man, I think, made $240 million in one weekend right now. But obviously, inflation and all of that adjusts things. So the film itself has has a very unique take on Penguin, has a, a, a unique take on Catwoman, but I think it's one that's more widely accepted. The version of Penguin is probably not as accepted as the Catwoman version. And obviously we have Michael Keaton returning as Batman. So there's a lot of really good things to talk about. The first thing I want to bring up between us as a discussion is what were some of the holiday things that popped up in the film that maybe on a rewatch you kind of forgot about? I guess, uh, you know, yeah, oh. go ahead, Scott. Okay. I guess I would say, um, you know, I never really, I mean, obviously you have like the tree and the theming around Christmas and like, you know, Alfred shopping for presents at one point. And like, there's all those very like overt in your face, you know, things going on. But I guess the, the family theme, you know, is something that I never really actively pay attention to, but I guess you could tether that to Christmas because that's kind of what people think of when they think of Christmas and spending time with their families. And, you know, here in Batman Returns, you have a movie where, you know, Bruce Wayne is alone and he really doesn't have other than Alfred, he doesn't have anyone to share Christmas with. And Selena Kyle's kind of in a similar boat. And, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have Penguin who, you know, the way they changed his origin, it's very much, it's, it's similar, but also like opposite of like Bruce Wayne's to where, you know, they're, you know, he was abandoned by his family, whereas Bruce's parents were killed. Um, And so he grew up kind of on an opposite path, but there's kind of like a parallel there. And so just kind of, you know, the thing that's like tethering your three, well, actually, if you want to count Max, Max Shrek too, four main characters is there's this family dynamic because Shrek, you know, he's his motivation or so he says is, you know, when he wants to push this nuclear power plant and build this empire is it's what he leaves behind for Chip, you know, who's his son. So that's, you know, something that I think flies under the radar. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, the family theme is something I picked up on as well. Uh, I, d- I did notice that there are, um, it was sort of designed so that um, Penguin's uh, origin in this kind of was uh, a little bit of a twisted reflection of Bruce's. Um, and there is that scene where, um, you know, Oswald first introduces himself to Gotham and Bruce is in his manner and he's watching it on TV. And he actually tells Alfred, like, and he seems genuine about it, like, oh, I hope he finds his parents. And you can see in that moment that he's sort of like connecting uh, to Oswald in that way. So I think, yeah, the, the element of family is one that's strong. Also, Oswald's, you know, grand plan at the end of the day uh, involves uh, children, which sort of uh, is a callback, I think, to hit the trauma that he went through as a child in this particular uh, version of the character. Um so I definitely agree with everything there as far as, you know, connections to, to Christmas. The other thing that I noticed, um, and this is something that uh, I, I didn't notice before, but uh, I've actually been uh, replaying the game Arkham Origins, which I just finished. And I wasn't aware of how big of an influence this movie had on the aesthetic of that game. Because when you're going through that game, there, from the, from the uh, architecture of Gotham City, you know, with these giant statues. Uh, the big Christmas tree, the snowstorms, the way, you know, the, even the rooftops are designed. It's like a carbon copy of this film. So I think uh, this movie has it doesn't just have Christmas connections, uh, but also has uh, had a significant impact on uh, 
Batman media. Yeah. One of the things that for me was interesting about the connections is kind of the, like I said, I mentioned this earlier, the kind of the materialism and, and Max Shrek and all of that, and kind of how the entire idea of Christmas being this extravagant thing for the rich people and obviously they didn't focus on the underclass necessarily, but in Wayne Manor, we have a giant Christmas tree, but we have a very, very sad Christmas because Bruce is all by himself and Alfred does shopping for Bruce and all that. So it's it was an interesting idea because, as mentioned, the idea of Penguin trying to find his parents, Bruce, there's no way he's going to get his parents back. Having that odd connection between the two characters, but then at the same time seeing somebody like Max doing something for his son, but it's not really working, and it's just kind of it's 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 a very odd parallel amongst all of these characters. Um, another thing I want to talk about is kind of diving into some of our favorite moments, uh, getting away from the holiday stuff for a little while. Let's talk about some of our favorite moments from the film as a whole. I'm going to start off by saying it's the, the, while it's one of the most controversial moments in the film, um, one of the ones that I really enjoy is the opening sequence of Batman taking out a lot of the goons, and he ends up knocking one of them in with the TNT and he uh, hypothetically blows up because of the TNT in the sewer. And that's one of the most controversial scenes when it comes to, well, does Batman kill people? And then that's always brought up, but the entire sequence of like Batman, like systematically easily taking out these, these, this variety of goons was great. I, I, I really enjoyed that sequence and I kind of wish we got more sequences like that because other than, not necessarily, not necessarily in this movie, but I feel like the they actually put some thought into these henchmen or these goons and kind of given them their own like personality, even if they were only on screen for a short amount of time. And each way that they each, you know, basically got taken out had something to do with their personality, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, the um, organ grinder character always stands out to me as kind of being especially like fun and cool, and like I love all the fight scenes in here and i think on that note talking about the fight scenes the music i feel like you know when i guess when i think of like scores and you know musical compositions for batman batman returns is probably my favorite i feel like they you know built upon like the theme that they put in the 1989 batman and this one has more of that darker you know danny elfman tim burton team up edge to it that's just it's almost like darkly magical in a way um and so that's you know and, and throughout the fight scenes too it's very like kinetic and fun and you know it has a really cool energy to it um and i guess like there's a lot i love about this movie it's probably like arguably my favorite live action batman movie um but the scene that towers above everything else for me is selena's transformation scene i just and that also ties into like the idea of the music, but also, you know, her as a character having, you know, this truly awful day and then just coming back and, you know, and she's in a daze after being pushed out a window and she kind of starts to go through the same motions we saw her go through, you know, only, you know, not too long prior to that. And, you know, then she just has this break and just starts destroying everything and kind of her transformation 
you know, is complete and that sign that says hello there on her wall, she smashes it so it says hell here and just that moment I just I really like that approach to Catwoman and showing this, you know, this continued transformation in a way that's I guess in a sense it is kind of relate relatable because she's the like out of our central characters, she's like you know, one who's not really associated with royalty or anything. She's just kind of an office clerk or a drone or administrative assistant, as she calls it. And Shrek always calls her a secretary. But to me, that's probably my favorite. Yeah. So for for me, I I actually watched this movie today uh, just to prepare for this. And it's the first time I've watched it since I was a kid. And I should clarify that. Like when the first time I watched it was actually a few years after it came out, because this movie actually came out a few months before I was born. So that was a long time ago. Um, the thing that really grabbed me from the very beginning when I was watching this movie uh, was just sort of the mood, the lighting, the city. Uh, I think this movie does the best job of really showing Gotham City as a setting. Um, and obviously I'm going to compare it to the Nolan films because that was, that was really my Batman, quote unquote. Um, and I think so Christopher Nolan, you know, his movies are, are, you know, my favorite and they're very, um, they're sort of steeped in realism, but the cities that he shows are, um, they're, they're kind of like indistinguishable from the real city. Like, so in the dark Knight, he uses Chicago and I've been to Chicago many times and I can tell exactly, you know, where they are in Chicago. Whereas in this movie in Batman returns, it feels like Gotham city, right? Like it, while still being realistic, it's still Gotham city. Um, as Scott mentioned, the score is fantastic. Um, the performances, you know, from all the actors. I think the the script, as someone in our Discord, you know, remarked earlier that this movie is a product of its time, and I, I do agree with that assessment because, you know, it's a little campy and the script's a little clunky in places, but the performances of the actors are all fantastic. And the thing that I thought of, you know, um, with Catwoman's transformation was. Um, you know that clip that goes around where you know Christopher Reeve uh, in the Superman movies, where um, he sort of like Lois like out sort of outs his identity uh, to when they're in the they're having a conversation and like, he kind of like transforms from Clark Kent to Superman in that moment just with his posture uh, and and stuff. That was sort of what I thought of when I saw Michelle Pfeiffer going from like this you know secretary with glasses and then becoming Catwoman is like almost a she's becoming a different person uh with that um Danny DeVito I thought was great Max Shrek kind of playing this stereotypical businessman the movie I think as a whole was kind of ahead of its time in a lot of the in a lot of the themes um you know specifically with like class struggle um you know workplace incidents etc obviously I don't think it it kind of pushed that far enough but again you know, at that time, it was probably um, ahead of its time in doing that. So, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, all those things, I think, are really great points. Absolutely. And I will say one of my other favorite moments, which was already touched on, was the Catwoman transformation moment. I think Michelle Pfeiffer did an amazing job. I really enjoyed the Catwoman of this film. 
Um, out of all the interpretations of Catwoman when it comes to live action, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, as much as I, I prefer Anne Hathaway as an actress over Michelle Pfeiffer, but I truly believe that this is more in line with what we see in the comics. And I don't know if that has to do with the the film version of the character did so well that it kind of, in some ways, led the comics to a different version of the character uh, for the future, because obviously Selena was Catwoman. There ended up being a Catwoman solo series, and then Holly Robinson had a, a series as well. But Catwoman has been very, very prominent ever since the '90s, probably more so than the than the before the movie released. So it's hard to say if there's a surefire. This character is based off of you know, a better version of what we see in the comics now based off of the, her appearance in the film, or if it's just, you know, kind of serendipity where they both kind of happen to be the same thing. That said, however, um, I want to talk about some of the stuff we didn't like. And one of the things I wasn't a huge fan of was the entire interpretation of Penguin. Not so much about the fact that they they adjusted his origin or anything like that, because I think at this point in comic continuity, this was it was fine to do that. Penguin was just, you know, a spoiled rich guy who wanted to, you know, who didn't have it as good as Bruce Wayne. And I think that's what they were trying to get across is like a different version of this. My issue more of a, was more of a, the connection with the penguins, not not so much about the mechanical penguins or anything like that, but the penguins that are kind of like leading the charge. Somehow they all want to work for Penguin. They feel like they're family or something. That was weird to me. That element that pops up every once in a while in the comics is still weird to me. I like him more of a, you know, a crime boss, an underworld leader kind of thing. Like the next step up from straight mob boss like the Falcones or the Maronis different you know he 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 can push it further than the general mob boss but he doesn't go as far as some of the you know crazier villains like joker kind of thing i like that mentality this one however when it comes to this interpretation comparing it you know to the comics version that we see now i I, i'm not a huge fan of it but i understand that they also didn't have a whole lot to go on other than him having this penguin motif and having, you know, coming from a family that ha- having a similar situation to Bruce Wayne, but not having it the same, it's very polar opposite. I thought that it was kind of strange. I thought at the very end with the weird black sludge coming out of his mouth and all of that, I, I didn't understand it. It was almost like, okay, so for some reason he's filled with black sludge. I I get to a degree of why maybe it couldn't have been blood, but it came off even stranger that it was Black Sludge. I see that. I mean, so it's kind of hard because I feel like I look at this movie with, you know, kind of rose-colored glasses, I guess. So I don't really, there's not a lot that I feel like I can complain about with it. I think, you know, Penguin, I think the thing that, probably weirds me out the most is the sexual repression aspect of this film, particularly with Penguin's character. You know, I think of the scene where he's putting the um, Penguin for Mayor buttons on those um, girls at his rally. Like, that part, you know, is probably because it's a product of his time. It's kind of dated. You know, the other stuff, I guess, it 
doesn't really bother as me as much. I feel like they just really leaned into the uh, freak motif. Like, and the way I kind of look at it is they had like the Joker in the first one, and it was just kind of like crazy, you know, archetypes for Batman to grapple with. So I feel like they just it, they didn't want to reinvent the wheel too much, and they just had some other like cr- absolutely like crazy person for Batman to fight, you know, and the way they kind of dismissed it is you know there's that scene where like penguins um strangling batman with an umbrella at the end and he goes you're just jealous because i'm a natural freak and you have to wear a mask and i just feel like that's just what they leaned into you know with the character but the sexual oppression aspect you know that penguin mentioned peppers throughout the movie you know and then even when he gets control of the batmobile when they're showing his trailer like rocking back and forth it's just kind of one of those things where i'm like that was a bit much for me yeah the, it's funny because uh, this movie was i just checked was rated pg-13 um and you know when i'm watching it again now i was thinking like wow this movie got away with a lot of of, of lines specifically for a movie that was uh was pg-13 um I agree with Dustin's point about uh, you know Penguin kind of being the weakest point of the movie. Even though I did find uh, Danny DeVito's performance to be a good one, based on what they were trying to do with the character. But as far as what they were trying to do with the character, I think that's overall my biggest critique of this movie is that, and this is perhaps me viewing it as someone in 2021 looking back. um, It's just it's just too campy right like and i i understand like that was kind of what the superhero genre was at the time um but like for me it just it seems a, a bit ridiculous in in spaces because you go from having really uh mature moments and conversations and i don't just mean like the you know the age rated stuff but like even the, the sort of the conversation you know bruce has with selena about duality and being split down the middle um, those are those are you know I would say adult conversations, and then you go from that to like these penguins that are shooting rockets, um, and I think that's at the biggest weakness of this movie. Looking back, even even the fight scenes, right? Like for me, I'm looking at the fight scenes now, and I'm thinking uh, these villains are doing like interpretive dances before they engage Batman in a fight. <laughs> in some cases, so I mean, I think that that's my biggest criticism of the movie. That guy with the bomb, though. <laughs> yes, that guy with the bomb. Honestly, it's one of the things that I think this movie is... I mean, outside of the villains being portrayed the way they are, I think that guy with the bomb is one of the things that gets brought up more than anything else. Um, you know, one thing that I, I, I kind of want to talk about to get your guys' take on it is when... Nowadays, when you see a comic book movie and you see a different interpretation of a character or a character that's created specifically for the film, sometimes, not always, but sometimes, the fans have this tendency to not appreciate that, especially when there's a character that could obviously easily fit that bill of that version of the character that they're trying to portray, but instead they create a original character. I don't know that fans were as adamant about that back in the 90s, 
because this was before, or at least as vocal about it. But I will say that I, I can see that it would have a problem. One of the things with the Joker um, in 1989 film is that the whole idea of Jack Napier and the creation of an origin for the Joker. I think people nowadays would have a problem with something like that, but back then I don't. I don't know that it was as big of a deal. What did you think of like a character like Max Shrek being introduced just for the sake of the film? I really, I, I really, I mean, so that's like totally a Tim Burton character. I mean, because it's named after um, the actor who played Nosferatu, you know, in the original silent film. So it's like Tim Burton, like having a little fun. But you know, I did really you know, like the character of Max Shrek is kind of like this, this bridge figure that kind of basically brings the three of them together. I mean, he creates Catwoman and then he finds, well, he, he is captured by Penguin and then bring Penguin brings Penguin out into the city and, you know, runs his campaign. So, you know, I, I thought I read rumors once that he was originally supposed to be another character and they named him Max Shrek or maybe, no, that maybe I'm, I'm mixing it up. Maybe that was the animated series where they wanted to bring Max Shrek on, but they ended up not doing that because I know Bruce Tim was a big fan of this movie, but um, you know, I like him, but I also don't think there's like much there for Shrek to really, you know, be much of a character. Like his motivation is, you know, he wants to build this power plant and he's basically, you know, scheming to get around, you know, the government to build this power plant. And that's his core character. You know, he doesn't really do much outside of that. He just kind of goes to extreme measures to achieve this one goal. But I mean, I liked the design and it's Christopher Walken. So he does a really good job at being Christopher Walken. Yeah, I think, you know, um, I think the character, if you're inventing a new character, um, I think it has to fit with the movie. And also, I think um, it has to be a situation where comic fans wouldn't say, oh, there is an established character who could have done this exact same thing. Um, and I think the reverse of that is true as well, where you don't want to use an established character and then change it to fit what you want to do. Uh, I think we've seen that go... Uh, be a mistake recently with the birds of prey movie with cassandra kane's casting um and then even with um batman versus superman with how they sort of reinterpreted lex luthor i think that was one of the cat that was one of the points where i think everyone's just sort of, the consensus is that that was uh a mistake um that being said i did enjoy uh max shrek i think it's interesting because um if you kind of combine Max Shrek and Penguin, you kind of almost get the comic book version of Penguin because Max Shrek is kind of that um, corrupt businessman who's, you know, trying to, you know, uh, grease the wheels of power behind the scenes uh, just to, for his own aims, for his own profit. He's um, a boss who is, you know, abusive to his employees specifically his you know female employees so everything that's sort of wrong about uh you know rich corporate culture is i think embodied in the character of max shrek and i think that's perfect for what uh burton was trying to do with the, the film i agree i read something recently saying that when 
Christopher Walken was cast for the film, Burton didn't want to have anything to do with him, and he specifically said that Christopher Walken was very creepy to him. And obviously, they got past that. Um, but it's interesting because then years later, they worked together on the movie Sleepy Hollow. Um, so clearly, they had a relationship and, and they've worked together since this film. But they brought the whole idea of bringing this character or this actor on board the project was to have him kind of portray this creepy side of, I guess, commercialism in, in a way. And it's kind of an interesting way. I don't think that there's any character that I would have immediately said, yes, this character fits the bill for this role in this film. I don't think that's possible. I, I don't think it would have been possible back then. I think there's characters that could be put into that spot in today's um, version of... If something like this was made today, I think there's characters that could fit that bill. But I don't think that's the case back then. Um, what, what, you know, I know, Otto, you mentioned that you saw this when you were younger. Scott and Otto, if you have more comments. When you first saw this, when was it? What year? What's the memories you have from seeing this film for the first time? So... The hard thing is, is I don't remember. I was so young. So, I mean, I know I saw it when it came out, but I was, oh, let me do math here. I was like five or six. So I actually have more memories of the Happy Meal toys and the commercials selling me the Happy Meal toys than I do of this movie. And I think that's because... At that age, you know, I had already seen 89, so as much as I just like seeing Batman and things, you know, I would always gravitate back towards the one with the Joker in it, because, you know, it was the Joker. But, you know, I did I did see it when it came out, and it was part of that whole, you know, I was Batman everything all the time. Yeah, so for me... Um... I so I was actually growing up in Middle East in Abu Dhabi, and uh, I was crazy about Batman growing up. It was my favorite character as a kid. I used to watch the the animated series, which was one of the few shows that would uh, be on TV in English. Although sometimes I'd watch it in Arabic as well. Um, and my first Batman movie was actually uh, Mask of the Phantasm, the the animated one. And then I, once I was older, and so this was about, you know, maybe 2000, 2001, I was like nine or 10 years old. Um, my dad went to the, uh, the video store, brought back the VHS of Batman 89, and then uh, Batman Returns. And then later on, I also watched uh, Batman Forever. And so that was the first time uh, I saw a live action uh, version of that. And at the time, I was... I was too young to pick up on a lot of the, you know, sort of the nuances that we've talked about now. I just kind of wanted to see Batman being cool and, you know, beating up bad guys. Uh, but yeah, that, I just remember it being a really cool and, and fun movie. So like Scott, I had a very similar uh, memory connected to this film. When the film came out, I did not actually see the film. It was only about six or uh, I think it was only about six years old when the film came out five or six years old and I did not see it when it first came out uh, my first Batman film that I actually saw shortly after it came out but not in theaters was Batman Forever 
but I do remember seeing Batman Returns. Um, I had an aunt and uncle who used to, they loved renting movies. And I remember they rented this film and I saw like bits and pieces. I did not see the whole thing. But like Scott, I remember the McDonald's toys more than anything. Um, I remember thinking it was really cool to be able to have McDonald's toys more so than caring to see the movie because Batman was just the cool superhero. It was the hero that everyone talked about. It was the hero that everyone wanted to have toys for. And at the time, it didn't have a lot of Batman toys or anything like that. I really wasn't into comics at this point, obviously, because I was very young. Um, I didn't really get into the animated series, you know, in the coming years um, right away. So when it comes to the toys, I remember I had, there was like a little, it was meant to be a Batmobile, but it was like an oversized Batman in a vehicle. You pull it back and it goes forward. There was a penguin vehicle where the the umbrella on the front of the penguin like spins. I remember those two for, I had those two toys. And I remember having those for a really long time when I was a kid. What's really interesting is, so kind of uh, behind the scenes, of I guess my life, I I sell collectibles on eBay, and one of the things that I sell is McDonald's toys. And I remember years ago when I got into selling stuff on eBay, um, I remember reading a, like doing a lot of research into McDonald's Happy Meal promotions and things like that. And the Batman Returns promotion is one of the most controversial promotions of all time, and it's because when the film came out. It was rated PG-13, and it's the very last film, um, at least for a very long time, that is, that was PG-13 that McDonald's did toys for. Obviously, they do toys now for Marvel films, and there's other films that have been PG-13 that they make an exception for. But for a very, very long stretch of time, after Batman Returns came out, they were not doing any films that were PG-13 because of what ended up happening. And they were unaware that the film was as dark and violent as it ended up being. And that's not to say that to my standards it's dark and violent. I've got kids. I wouldn't have an issue having them watch the film. But at the time, it was a problem for a lot of parents. And McDonald's faced a lot of backlash for supporting a film and having toys related to a film like Batman Returns. We've talked about some of the things that are in the film. The the darkness is what I would focus more heavily on so than the violence. The violence is in all the films. You're always going to see, you know, good guys beating up bad guys in a lot of films. It doesn't matter what it is, but the reality of it is it was very dark and there was a lot of other small innuendos that probably were pro- like those aren't as focused on but those also probably rubbed a lot of parents the wrong way in the 90s making parents mad about a film was kind of the thing you didn't want to have happen um, if you wanted your film to do really well and sell a lot of toys you did not want something like that to happen and it's one of the reasons why they went from making batman returns to something as drastically well, not as drastic as some people may consider but very different when it came to batman forever batman forever was intended to be more family friendly um so that it could sell a lot more merchandise so that it could have a lot more promotions did it have a happy meal tie-in it did not um but 
it's interesting because I, 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 I distinctly remember the McDonald's Happy Meal toys and thinking they were super cool. And honestly, I didn't remember. I don't remember a lot of Happy Meal toys from when I was a kid, but that is one of the sets I, I distinctly remember. So that was that's a cool memory. I did see the film years later um, in its entirety, but it wasn't until well after I had already seen Batman Forever and Batman Robin. So definitely some time had passed between that. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about is kind of what could have happened if this would have continued. Obviously, Tim Burton moved on. He did not do another film. Joel Schumacher came on board. They recast Batman with Val Kilmer. I think part of that had to do with the fact that Michael Keaton was paid, at the time, a lot of money to reprise his role as Batman for Batman Returns. Um, it's said that he was paid $11 million, and some of the information that I've read kind of preparing for learning a little bit more of the behind-the-scenes information about the film. That was a lot of money at the time, and Warner Brothers wasn't exactly comfortable with him making as much money as they did. The film ultimately had an $80 million budget, so an eighth of that budget was going to him making $11 million, which is a lot of money. Um, so there's that. Um, so they, they went in a completely different direction. The one thing I did not know that I learned was that at the end of the film, obviously they hint at Catwoman still being alive, she being out there, and it was intended for Burton to actually come back and do a spin-off Catwoman uh, film with Michelle Pfeiffer attached to it. But unfortunately, they it was due to a lot of a variety of different reasons. Burton was to, attached to it for a very long time, but the issue was that they did not get a script in right away. It was kind of like tossed around as an idea, and then conveniently, the script ended up getting turned in right around the time that Batman Forever came out. The film was successful, made a bunch of money, and they continued to go that route and weren't really thinking about bringing back Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman and rehashing kind of the idea of what Burton was doing now that they had the franchise going in a direction that was producing more money for them. So there was that. The other aspect was Michelle Pfeiffer. She ended up stepping away from the project because she was uh, moving into motherhood and she had other projects that she was working on. And that's what she wanted to shift her focus to. So Ashley Judd at one point was attached to the film and then... Eventually, years and years later, we did get a Catwoman solo film, which is probably known as the worst Batman Universe film, which was the Halle Berry Catwoman, because it had very little, if anything, to do with uh, the character of Catwoman and more to do with somebody who decided to try to write a film with the idea of taking the Michelle Pfeiffer version of Catwoman and adapting that rather than adapting any sort of source material from the comics or any uh, any other aspects of the character, whether it be media at that point with the animated shows or anything like that. They decided to just basically do its own thing and only attach it to by name, uh, the word Catwoman. So um, that's what it ended up being. But it was interesting because I didn't know the thing about there was a Michelle Pfeiffer project that was actually planned at the time and that Burton was attached to it. Um, Penguin has yet to appear in, an, in a live action film since then. However, he is appearing this coming March in the Batman anime or the Batman film for Matt Reeves. And that is supposed to have a spinoff with Colin Farrell reprising his role as the Penguin for HBO Max sometime in the future as well. So it'll be interesting. Uh, Max Shrek, 
outside of a couple of comic adaption tie-ins and stuff like that, hasn't really popped up that frequently. That character did not obviously carry over to the comics, but there wasn't a whole lot of other things that you could really say what kind of legacy did this have. The one thing I think a lot of people were expecting to see if Burton came back for a third film is to include Two-Face and have uh, Billy Dean come, Billy Dean Williams come back to reprise his role as Harvey Dent from the first film. But they kind of left that on the table by focusing on a different group of characters for Batman Returns. Obviously, once Batman Robin came, or Batman Forever, that is, came around, they recast... Harvey Dent with Tommy Lee Jones and they ended up doing it to having Two-Face as one of the villains but the legacy of this film what would you have liked to see carryover that didn't I mean we get it in the comic now but the Billy D. Williams Two-Face is probably the thing I was always been really curious about and then you know there were reports and stuff that like in one of the earlier drafts of Returns they did have a Robin and they cast, um, I think it was Damon Wayans as Robin. And it got so far into like development, you know, with him as taking on the mantle of, you know, Robin, that the action figure that came out around the time, I don't know if you had it. I had it as a kid, but it was Robin in Tim Drake's suit, but he had like a weird head. Just kind of like I felt it looked like an elongated head, and that's because it was a repaint job of a model that was done off of Damon Wayans, and he had, you know, bigger hair, you know, for his role. And so they just repainted it and sold the figure that way. So that's, you know, when you're as a kid, if you got this Robin, you're like, what's with his head? You know, that's because the repaint job wasn't the best. You know, they're just working with what they got. But um, just, yeah, those two things. But we kind of get them now in comic book form. So I guess I'm happy with that. And we did get to hear Billy D Williams do a little bit of a two face voice, though, not too much in the Lego Batman movie. Yeah. For me. Um, so it, just a uh, quick question, uh, just to confirm something. So apparently Batman forever, even though they recasted uh, Batman to Val Kilmer is technically in the same continuity as 89 and returns. Correct. It's assumed so. I don't know that. I don't know that anybody at the time was immediately trying to patch together a coherent continuity between the films. Obviously, there's certain characters like Alfred and uh, James Gordon who carried over from the Burton films to the Schumacher films, and that didn't change. But I, I don't know that explicitly. It was inten- It was ever said in Batman Forever that this was the same Harvey Dent that we saw, you know, two movies ago. They right, right. did. Yeah. There is one line that I can think of in Batman Forever that tries to like tie it possibly to '89, and that's like I can't remember what part of the movie comes in, but Bruce is talking to, um, you know, uh, Dick Grayson, and you know, they're you know, Dick Grayson's obviously his parents were killed by Two-Face or whatever, so he's kind of wants to get revenge. And so Bruce just makes a passing comment at some point about how some crazy person killed his parents. And so, you know, it's pretty vague and open-ended. And and I guess I always assumed that it was supposed to be in continuity and that was like a sly reference to the Joker. But, I mean, you could take that as you will. Yeah, because, okay, so like even, even if the connections are, are pretty loose, there is still some sense. I mean, even in how they describe it now in that 
this is you know a sequel to return so as far as what i would have wanted to see that didn't happen in in real life um i would have wanted to see catwoman in batman forever because instead of maybe uh the chase meridian character just because i think that would have been more interesting um now the flip side of that is because they had recasted uh keaton to val kilmer i don't know for sure if they would have had the same chemistry like with kilmer and michelle pfeiffer that she had with uh michael keaton um so that might have been a little different but i i think it would have been a really interesting dynamic to sort of have her in that movie uh and at times helping batman at times maybe you know helping uh riddler and two-face uh depending on what was more beneficial for her but obviously ultimately you know siding with him so i think that would have been an interesting dynamic yeah it was it's interesting because now in today's world we can get some sort of continuity or continuation of continuity when it comes to these projects and we're seeing that currently with the Batman 89 comic series that's releasing and it's kind of picking up story elements from obviously Batman 1989 but in some ways elements that could have been seen in Batman Returns or after Batman Returns if Burton did come back to direct another film um overall um just as a final kind of thought on batman returns i you know looking back as an adult i i enjoy this film for what it is i think it took some it took some risks that you didn't necessarily see with a lot of films for a while um that's not to say that's not to say that I appreciate all the risks risks because I don't, but I can appreciate the fact that they were willing to allow Burton to do some of the things that he did, and he clearly did not burn the bridge with Warner Brothers because he came back and made multiple movies with Warner Brothers since. At one point, he was attached to a Superman film um, in the late '90s, early 2000s with Warner Brothers. So it's not as if he didn't. He, he he did he did what he wanted to, which was good for him. Um, didn't necessarily help the overall franchise getting to where Warner Brothers would want to have wanted wanted to have taken it. But they but he was able to do what he wanted to, and it took some risks that paid off in his mind probably, but not in everybody's mind. Um, I think that my favorite aspect of this film was just Catwoman. I think that they did a great job with adapting Catwoman from the character that she was presently in the comics at that time. And I think that it kind of made the character a very different version of the character that we, to what we would have seen if this character, if Michelle Pfeiffer didn't play the character the way they were, the way she was, and the and the way that the character was written. I think it it was really really good, and I think it was great for the the, the legacy of the Catwoman character. Um, I can't say the same about Penguin, obviously, but I appreciate the fact that, like I said, there were some risks taken with Penguin because they could. Penguin was not like he was always known as obviously one of the top four villains for Batman, but he wasn't the villain that had a lot of depth to him, in my opinion. And I think that that's why Burton was kind of given the ability to take some of the risks risks that he did. And I appreciate ultimately how Catman ended up being portrayed just because I, I do feel like it influenced a lot of the versions of the character we see in the present time. Yeah, no, I, 
I think what I like about Returns, well, a lot of older superhero films that kind of fall into this bucket. It's not just Returns, but the idea that, you know, they weren't, you know, like you were saying, taking risks, you know, with something and whether or not it pays off, it, you know, it, the fact that they took a risk is in itself admirable. The idea that, like, you know, a lot of these films were used as a vehicle to talk about a certain topic or a subject or explore, like, an idea more so than try to, like, recreate a continuity or a canon. And I just, that's something I appreciate in, in Returns and a lot of like-minded superhero films where it's like, well, we really want to talk about, you know, this aspect of you know kind of loneliness and corporate greed and commercialism around christmas and you know explore the darkness that's kind of the under underlying most you know christmas stories and just really kind of get in there and if we have to change some things around from the comics to get at it then so be it and so that's you know it's honestly something I don't feel like we see too much of anymore in the superhero genre. I feel like the last time I saw something on screen that kind of, you know, leaned towards, well, the story is really about X and everything else needs to revolve around that was like maybe the first Iron Man. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think um, it's interesting because so uh, Batman Returns kind of has, it has the, it has the, element the serious elements to it and then it also has the campy elements to it and then what i think we see with the subsequent movies is that uh for whatever reason the the movies start to lean more into the campy side of things until we get to the george clooney batman and i think based on how people reacted to those movies uh that was obviously the wrong decision that was the wrong direction to take the character and it's only until we get to Batman Begins do we sort of see that that uh, pendulum swing the other way back to you know taking these ideas seriously, which you know you could argue that Batman '89 and Batman Returns were really the movies that that started that and, and took that leap, and and were the first to say that you know you can actually tell serious, mature stories with these characters. It doesn't have to be campy stuff that's just for kids. Um, and you know a lot of you know, a lot of Scott's other points about you know taking these movies seriously is kind of I, mean, I don't want to go too far down the road. It's kind of the criticism I have of a lot of the, the Marvel films. Uh, I mean, those are don't get me wrong; they're very enjoyable. I'm not here to start a Marvel versus DC thing because we could be here forever, and I don't think that's productive, anyways. But um, the Marvel films, for all their success, uh, I think most of them are just popcorn entertainment, right? Like you go in, you see a cool movie. But it's not really something that will get you to think on the same level that uh, the Nolan films did, on the same level that I expect uh, Matt Reeves' film, the upcoming film, to to get people to think. So I think this this movie definitely had some of those elements, so I appreciate it for that. And doing it 30 years ago is amazing. Absolutely. Um, it's one of the things that I look forward to is the legacy of the of this film like you said, and well, both of you said, you know, allowing different types of directors to get their hands on these characters, and that's true of a lot of characters that have you know appeared on the on the comic screen or on the on the silver screen the for, for the first time is the ability to get these characters and have someone who's really behind the character and wanting to work with these characters, giving them a chance. 
in some cases, especially with the Marvel movies, keeping them within a range, but allowing them to tell a story that wouldn't otherwise be able to be told. All right, so that is our kind of our holiday episode featuring Batman Returns. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Um, we have a variety of other things we want to do here in the future, but we would really like to hear what you guys would like to hear us talk about in the future. Um, obviously, there's always going to be news briefs here and there that are sporadic, but there are plenty of times, especially in the coming weeks, where there's not a lot of news that comes out. So we do have plenty of opportunities to talk about other aspects within the Bat fandom. So we'd love to hear from you guys. So send us an email at tbu at thebatmaniverse.net with any comments or suggestions or things that you'd like us to maybe do a little bit of research on and have a discussion about. So we are always open to those suggestions. So please do take the time to send those to us or you can leave a comment on YouTube where the podcast is or on the podcast post over on the website. And we will definitely take those in consideration. Outside of that, be sure to join our Discord to chat with all of us and other Bat fans from around the world. You can head over to our website, thebatmeuniverse.net, for all kinds of news and content related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, comics, and everything else related to the Bat fandom. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Obviously, YouTube. We also have a Facebook group. Those are places, all of our social links can be found over on our website, thebatmeuniverse.net, as well as places for you to support us for information or if you'd like to join us. If you are looking to share your bat fandom with other bat fans, get in touch with us by looking for the join TBU link on our website as we have all kinds of positions always open for you guys to join up with the rest of the TBU staff staff. With all that being said, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the TBU Podcast. As I mentioned in the previous episode, we will be taking the next two weeks off and we will be returning in January with a brand new episode. And we hope that you guys come along for the ride in 2022. So for Adele, Scott, and myself, this has been the TBU Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.